0: This series that we're about to do is a natural outgrowth of the series that we just finished on the troubling images of God in the Old Testament. So we thought it would be a great idea since we had spent so much time talking about worship and idols in the Old Testament and the consequences that Israel faced. And we looked at a lot of troubling passages. The resolution of some of those passages was, well, it's because God was trying to protect his people from the worship of idols that we would move right into this series. But i got to tell you, at first when I thought, yeah, that sounds like a good series to do. We went from a really heavy, heady topic about troubling passages in the Old Testament. Let's do something a little more practical, a little bit more soul-working like idols. I was still not totally convinced until I started reading the books that we chose. Next week, I'll give you a list of the books that we're going to go through if you want to join us in reading some of those i got to tell you, I started just turning the first few pages and immediately it gripped my heart. I realized right away that I thought, sure, this would be a nice connection to our last series. I didn't realize how much work I needed to do with the idols in my own life. And the piece of paper you have in front of you is just a way to get you started on thinking about some of those. I hope that you'll think with me a little bit more tonight. Um, For those of you who are new to Exodus, you can jump in at any point, raise your hand, interrupt, disagree. That's why it's interactive, not just because you write things down on a piece of paper. I want to hear from you tonight a little bit more. Here's my starting point, a question that's not on your pieces of paper. Do you believe that God who created us and formed us by hand knows infinitely more about what will harm us? Do you believe that? Not, I'm not saying, do you know that? I'm saying, do you really believe it in your heart? Because a lot of us really struggle with this more than we know. We can very quickly give the church answer, which is give assent to this and say, sure, I, I, of course that's true. Of course it puts me in the right position. I'm humble. I don't know very much. God knows more than I do. But look at the way we live. Because the way we live really says a lot about our beliefs. The amount that we really tune into God says a lot about what we believe about this sentiment. If we really believe that not only that he knows more, but that he really cares. And he's doing it because he created us and knows what's good and what's bad for us. Some things like what we're going to talk about in this series fall definitely in that category. Where you might be asking, as I did, what's the big deal? What's the big deal about idolatry? We're going to talk about that tonight. Like, who cares? I mean, it's a sin among other sins. Why do we focus on this one? Why does it matter? I mean, at some point, God says, don't do this. And think, yeah, well, God says, don't do a lot of things. And I struggle with a lot of them. I mean, is this any different? But I think we've got to fundamentally get our thinking right about, do we really believe that God intends good for us so much so that what he says matters? And that if we actually disobey God, we're actually going in something that's very harmful to us. Okay, a silly little example, yesterday my daughter Christine did something that kind of freaked us both out. Uh, She opened the front door, walked outside and closed it behind her and started walking towards the street. Now, she'd never done that before. Lena went looking to see where she was and she was outside on her own. Would any of us think it was strange if I said that we were somehow being mean by saying that she couldn't do that? that we are somehow restricting her in some way, that we are actually trying to control her in some way by having her obey the very thing that we think might save her life? Of course not. Everybody sees that very clearly. But I don't think we always see that with God. I don't always think that we see him as the grand designer, the one who knows us intimately, who knows what really benefits not only our bodies physically, but our souls and our minds so that he can protect us in all these ways. So keep that in mind as an overarching theme that we're going to follow in this discussion. We looked at so many of these laws in the Old Testament, but one thing that we might want to remember is this verse from Deuteronomy 10. It says, And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all of your heart and your soul And to observe the Lord's commands and decrees that I am giving you today for your own good. That's the purpose of so much of the reasons and the laws that were given. It's for your own good. And chief among them will be the one we're studying in this series, which is to have no other God than God. Which again, we could very easily say, oh sure, I don't worship anybody other than God. But that's actually what this series, of course, is about. So let me dive into our intro that we always do. Why spend any of the time that we're going to do over the next couple of weeks focused on this. Here's a couple reasons I want to give you so that you know we're stewarding God's time very well by even engaging in this. First, we all worship something or someone other than God. I think it's pretty safe to say that's a fact. You might struggle with that and that's good. We might look for the places. But I think most people agree in all of the books I'm reading and even and I'm discovering it in myself, we do worship other gods. It might be something, someone. It might be to a large degree. It might be to a smaller degree. But God's standard is pretty clear. I'm the only God. Worship me alone. And yet we, as John Calvin once said, tend to be an, an idol factory. We create and manufacture so many idols in our lives. Our worship of people and things does not involve graven images. We think that's too elementary, but ours are so much dangerous because it's still idolatry, the things that we do worship. And maybe many of them are kind of, they slip it under the radar. Maybe many of them, for us, look on the surface and are actually good things. So we have to think about what they are. Worship of idols is not a matter of loving something or someone more than God. It's not just that. Sometimes it's just a matter of loving God less. And this one hits me really personally because I realize that sometimes the reason I love things so much is because I already have a deficient love for God to begin with. That my love for God is struggling. And I'm always looking for a thing to love, so I find lots of things to love. So sometimes, yes, things we love more than God, and sometimes we really have to be honest with ourselves and say, we're really not very good about loving God to begin with. We don't know how. We struggle with it. Maybe it's as simple as God's not here. He's not in front of me. I can't see him. I can't chase him as much as I would like. We've always struggled with that. Even in our discussion on Wednesday nights in the book of 1 John, we asked that question one night, like, what does it look like to love God, and how do you pursue loving God more? And we struggled for a good long time. And at the end, you could see we are still struggling. Because it's hard to reach that tangibly. Last reason I think we should do this is the first command in both the Old Testament and the New Testament is to love God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. And that's the one I'm going to ask you again. Do you believe that God knows what's best? That he intends us good? That he knows what will help us and what will harm us? When he commands that you love me, give me all of your heart, soul, strength, and mind. We sang it in worship. I heard the words today in worship. Can we do it in reality? So let me define an idol for us tonight. I'm going to borrow from Tim Keller. One of the books that we're reading is Counterfeit Gods. This is what he says. He says anything can be an idol, and everything has been an idol. You agree? There's something that can't be an idol? You want to take him on? Yes?
1: I was just a little confused because I was thinking back to like when you are doing the first slides. Um, like could you idolize your children, you know? Like is it wrong to love your children? Is it wrong to, to want their well-being and to you know, have their well-being in mind and to really um, devote your time to them and love them? And I'm using the words that you used. And I'm, I'm thinking is it wrong for that? You know, what's the line? What's the fine line? How, you know, especially for like a mother who's carried the child in her womb for nine months and feels this connection, how do you draw the line?
0: That's where the rubber meets the road. That's what we're trying to find. Morgan? Yeah, I
1: was just <clears throat> wanting
2: to comment. Of course we are supposed to love children. To, Jesus talks about loving your enemy, um, loving your neighbor as yourself. So clearly love is a good thing and it's something we're commanded to do. Created to do so. The issue is what you're tying is further is when does love turn into idolatry? That, that would be the question because, yeah, as a mother, are you supposed to love your child? Absolutely, clearly.
0: Okay. Well, I'm going to give you more definitions and see if it's solvable. Let's go to Joseph first. I think part of that goes back to even the previous slide. Do we love God less? So, if we, does it really matter all that much? Are we loving God more or less in the process of loving our children? Okay. Let's see what else Tim Keller gives as a definition. He says, an idol is anything more important to you than God, anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God, and anything you seek in order to give you what only God can give you. Is there something in your life that's more important to you than God? You don't have to answer because most of us say no. We know the answer to that question right away. But actually, as I started to reflect on it, I think there were a number of things that came out that I thought were more important to me than God in practicality. As I look at the way I live my life, not the way I want to see myself, not the answer I'd like to give, but the way I really am. There are a lot of things that I love and are more important to me than God. Some of them I can identify when I blatantly disobey God knowingly, not even accidentally, just because what I think, whether it's for my own safety, my own comfort, my own security, my own desires, whatever it is, then I say, yes, that is more important to me at that moment. Is there something in your life that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God? Is there something that you think about a lot? Something that you want a lot. Something that you feel like, this is so important to me that I actually spend more time thinking about that than God. Not that you don't think about God ever. Not that you stop. But that you find your mind going there all the time. One of the questions that we looked at on those pieces of paper that I handed out. Where do you go with some of those things? And how do they affect you? Carissa? I was
3: thinking with that one, I think it can be hard whenever um, like what is your Art and imagination is a lot in ministry. Because that's dealing with God, you know, and wanting other people to know God. But, again, how
0: do you separate those? And I would ask you, even the premise of the question that you said, like you said, that if I think a lot about ministry, because that's about God, and I would just ask you, is it always... Because I think it's not always, so you'd even have to start splicing there. I mean, I could paint a somewhat silly picture of a person who's driving down the road, and every moment, what they're thinking about is, how many people are coming to my church? What is the great impact we're making in the community? And you could draw it one way where you think, that's great, because they're praising God for what's going on. Or you could say that's becoming an idol because what they're really concerned with and thinking about is success and impact and ministry and self-fulfillment and getting over any doubts they might have and suddenly it's not about God anymore. But I can't be in that person's mind or heart. But I can see a possibility where even that could turn into an idol. And that's why we have to sit with ourselves in this or maybe sit with someone who knows you really well to go through some of these questions and say, uh, "That's a good question. I think about ministry. Let's say 10 hours a day. Is that wrong?" It's like let's talk about why. Is the service of God starting to replace God Himself? Right, which I've seen happen. You know, I, I think even in my own life, I see that sometimes where I'm more interested in talking about the ministry and the church than I am really just talking to God. And that's a problem. That's a warning sign where the light should be blinking. Like, yeah, that's wrong. Probably, you're getting to the point where you're missing uh, the very person you serve uh, in the interest of thinking constantly about the service. Ray, I
3: just think that
4: practically considering like devoting most of my time thinking about God as a student, I would drop out of college if I spent most of my time thinking about God. I spend most of my time thinking about school because I have to because I'm studying because I'm writing papers. Like, what? How do you balance? Like, mm-hmm. is it more of like a mindset of every action is an act of worship, or is it like because if you think about God all the time, you're never gonna live. Does that
0: make sense? <laughs> like, but but your your question highlights something, which is we often can narrow this down into just a matter of well, how much time am I spending, right? So you could say, well, sure, I go to work all the time, and I have to work. A, I have to think of a lot of work things. And if I added up all those hours, maybe that's more than I think about God. That's one of the ways you test it, though. You say, like, okay, is that something that you could give up? Sure, absolutely. I might spend time doing it, and at some point, if you spend too much time, you're crowding out time with God. But that's not really what this is about. This is about your true devotion and what you're really pursuing. So this last one says, anything that you seek to do, what only God can give you, this one has a lot to do with the things that we fear or the things that we want. Maybe you look to certain things to give you a sense of self-worth or you want them for security or you want them for control. You want them for provision. You want them because they make you feel better about you. There's a lot of reasons, but those are things that maybe God should give. Just think about those for a moment. Here's one last definition that Tim Keller gives. He says, sin is making good things into ultimate things. So there might be that line that Jolene was just talking about, about the the line of saying, these things aren't bad. We would all want mothers to love their children, but we could all probably imagine a situation where that love does become an idol, where that mom could not think of anything except being a mom. It's her identity. It's everything she's about. She couldn't do without it in any way. God gets crowded out somehow because that is the most important thing. And if you read Counterfeit Gods, that's one of the examples that Tim Keller uses to go forward and explain that there's people who fall into that, and that becomes their thing. On the outside, it's very tempting to say, well, what's better than loving your kids? What could be better than that? Loving God would be better than that. And every time we're tempted to go, well, that's a good thing. That's a good thing. That's the quote. It's making even good things into ultimate things where you'd give your whole life to that thing, then you are not giving your soul devotion to the Lord. Carissa. I was
3: just thinking about um, what you were saying and also, like, what does it mean to worship God or to give him our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And I'm kind of thinking that, like, uh, devoting so much time to nursing or, Devoting so much time to, I don't know, like let's say the environment, like an environmental issue, let's say, like I think that can also be an act of worshiping God, um, like in that process, because you know God created the human body, and so you're learning to your best how the body works and how you can be equipped to help other people. So I think I don't know. I think there is probably some differences in worship, but I don't think we can look past our everyday things and try to see God in everything and have kind of that worldview, that mindset of God pervades every single thing.
0: So what you did is you just defined those things as good things, right? God gives good things. God is the author of good things. And I'm not saying that you do nothing but spend time worshiping God. You're saying, well, we do those good things and we do them for God. So here's the litmus test that we have to come back to. Could you give that thing up? Could you give it up if God says, I don't want you to do it? And it may be something you love very much. We make idols out of all sorts of things. One of the examples that I think was in one of the books I was reading was vegetarianism, for example. Somebody made that into an idol because that was something they just really believed in so much so. It became part of their identity. They needed everybody to know about it. They needed everybody to be part of it. And the question is, could you give that up? There's nothing wrong with it. I mean, no one's going to say there's anything wrong with it, right? In fact, there's probably a lot right with it. But the question is, would you give it up? The question is, you ask yourself those kinds of questions. Like, at what point is this becoming something that I cling to so much that life becomes difficult to imagine without it? And at that point, you think, yes. I can come up with a lot of rationalizations, but there is a struggle for the master of my heart at that point.
4: So I guess, like, my issue or my question is, like, the whole idea of, like, well, could I give it up? Like, sure, in my mind, I could totally give it up. But, like, that takes me nowhere with, like, just imagining if I could. Like, it would be one thing for, like, the significant thing to be taken out of my life. As opposed to me, like, just, you know, in my mind's eye or whatever, like, imagining my life without it. And so, like, to what point do we go to get rid of these things? Like, or to what point, like ought we go because like very easily like you know like in my mind like let's say like one of my idols is my money and it's like oh yeah I could totally like live without it God like if that was the life that you called me to like sure you know like okay like great like I can do it like you know you would provide but like is it wrong to keep living a life not giving because God hasn't taken it away from you like to what extent do I have to sacrifice it do I have to actively take steps to
0: get rid of it? I think there are some idols that we know right away that we couldn't give up, and there's some that we'll only know when we're asked to give it up. I think there's, you have to look at the different types. Let me, let, me be, let me put my cards on the table. I realized as I was reading this book that one of the idols in my life has got to be the house that we live in. Because one of the tests that came up was, what do I spend a lot of my time thinking about and working on and putting my money into? And I realized, for me and Lena, we call it a hobby. It's an idol. right? We can rationalize and say, it's a hobby. You guys can help us rationalize. Oh, but we have ministry stuff there. And yeah, 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 yeah. We could come up with rationalizations all day long. I got 10 for every one you can think of, right? Because I had to clearly come up with them to justify doing this. It's an idol. There's some that you know right away when you start to struggle with it. Like, when I think about my fears in life, Like, what are the things that would keep me up at night? It would be to spend all this time and all this energy doing all these things, and I'd be gone. It's an idol. I'll tell you, it wouldn't be an idol if we lived in a rented apartment. I wouldn't care. We'd find another one. Do you see the difference? Now, that doesn't answer the question that you asked. It means that there are some that you know right away, and there are some that you only face when you're in that moment that you really know. Because you might think, oh, sure, theoretically, I can definitely do that. But it happens. You can think of the story of Job, as an example of let's see how far we can keep taking things away and seeing at what point he finally says all right I don't trust you anymore that's just an example from scripture that you might say I don't know that any of us could have put up with any of those things but that was the point is that we'll see at what point that happens so go ahead come back
4: are you living in sin if you're living in your house knowing this?
0: yes yes Let's just close the series. We've discovered the sin. Let's go. (laughs) The real question is, will I be able to give my heart to God, not just in this area, but in others? Or will I continue to struggle to such a point that the only thing I can do is to sacrifice this idol and give it up? I mean, it is possible that we can change our minds and our hearts to see what has become an idol and move away from it. The point is to rid ourselves of idols, but just getting rid of them is not solving the problem. That's solving the what is distracting you problem, what are you devoted to, but it's not solving the condition of your heart, which is craving the idols to begin with. You will find another idol, I will. I will find another idol, and I've got probably 10. Just from reading the first few chapters of some of these books, I started making a list. It's like, wow, some are more serious than others. But the question is to say, okay, so if this does become an idol, Can I change the condition of my heart? And if I cannot, then yes, my choices are becoming more stark because then I am disobeying God. It goes back to that question, do I believe what God says? Do I just go, sure, but I'm just going to live differently because I know better than my God who created me. That's why I'm advocating for a change of our heart. Uh Is that easy to do? No, of course not. Because there's probably years and years of stuff that led to why it is that you are worshiping this idol so much. Monique.
5: My question slash comment, was kind of along the same idea in a way, because it's sort of, it's easy even for me to identify like things, and I have identified things in my life before where it's like, do I need to buy another pair of shoes or another this? Or should I if I really believe in God, should I dedicate this money to like my Kiva account or like other like things like that where you start to make changes where it's like, no, I need to reappropriate what I'm doing or I'm spending my time what I'm passionate about. It. But when it is like a person, like I think it's also fair like Not just to think, what can I not live without? Because I think if you're married, like for me, the first thought that I thought was like my parents, like my family, or like someone in my life that you really feel like it would fall apart, like you wouldn't want to live without them. But that doesn't necessarily mean you're idolizing them. Because like I know I would be able to go on and I know that I would love, I do love God more than like any person in my life. But just that feeling of like, I wouldn't want to go with that person doesn't necessarily make them like your idol.
0: I would say it doesn't necessarily make them in every case, but I would say it's an indication that you should stop and check yourself as to why. So you may be totally fine. Look, every one of you is different. I'm not going to stand up here and make broad generalizations about how you identify idols, like I have an idol detector. You have to be able to ask yourself really these kinds of questions. And you are, of course, always at peril of rationalizing every one of them so that you have to even probably think, maybe I need to even bounce this off somebody else and say, hey, is this part of my life becoming too much of who I am, too much of what I care about, too much of what I think about? And hear what they're going to say. A lot of times, by the way, in these conversations that I've had in my life like this, most people tend to talk you out of it. And I'm always convinced that the reason is because they're scared to start looking for the idols in their own lives. So I've had lots of people who've talked me out of it. And now as I look back in retrospect, I realize it's because they were deadly afraid that revealing the things that I cared about, even though they looked really good on the surface, was going to cause them to do the same thing in their own life. Yes?
1: I think for me right now in my own life, you know, having just recently lost my father, I look at this and I go, no, no, I'm not sure if I love God more. I'm not sure if I do, and I'm being honest about it. Because because of where I'm at and what I'm struggling with right now, I look at it and I say I'm angry and I don't know how I feel about you right now. Because do I spend most of my day thinking about him? Yes. Do I want it to be different? Yes. Do I, you know, daydream about it? Yeah. Do I have dreams about it? Yeah. It consumes me. So am I idolizing my father or the idea of him over God? I would say yes. Am I comfortable with that? Probably not. Do I want to change it right now? No. And I'm being honest.
0: Morgan? Yeah, I think the important thing, John put
2: that scripture about your own good, right? Because what we have to become convinced of if we're going to, you know, engage the series or look at these good things that, yeah, we should love and care about. um, If we don't understand at a deep level, like Jolene is honestly confessing, every single thing in our life can be taken from us. There's not one thing you can mention that you and I can think of that couldn't be taken from you except for God. So unless we really believe that, believe it, not just don't, but believe it, that will then, for our own good, we begin to see why, wow, if I devote myself even to my child, if my child is my absolute everything, what happens when that child dies? And that is a very real possibility. Now, we pretend it's not because we have control or we think we have control. We never realize that infant deaths happen. We don't know. I mean, your daughter could have walked out into the street and been hit by a car and died. And if you guys have built your identity upon her, your life is ruined. And that's the reality with every single thing. Now, that doesn't mean you're not going to grieve, and it doesn't mean those no things,
1: but. No, no,
4: no,
0: Okay, I'm going to allow Ray to come back. Go ahead.
4: I'm, I still think that when you're identifying idols and seeing where the heart change needs to be, you need to look at those good things, but you also have to recognize that an idol involves something unhealthy and dangerous. And you have to recognize that those can be and often are in the good things in your life. But I still think that otherwise it's just so <coughs> confusing to say, well, I gotta cut off my friendship with Noelle because I love her too much. No, you have to look for the things, look at all of the things in your life, especially the good things, and find. Where
1: it's unhealthy, which I feel like you know in your heart.
0: Okay, you're... let me ask you this. Isn't loving anything more than God unhealthy? You know why? There's some things about idolatry that are too simple, like idols that destroy, idols that are graven images. Oh, I don't believe in graven images. That's just ridiculous. If I put the definition of idols and stated it in such a way where all of it was about the negative things we do, like addictions. Like if I said it's gambling an idol in your life when you're addicted to it. You know what? All of us would just check out of this series right away. We would not struggle because I think the real thing that causes our hearts to love something other than God are the things that on the outside are good things. But we make them ultimate things. We pour so much of ourselves into them and that's why they're so seductive. That's why they're so dangerous. It's not like we're going to melt down gold and make a golden calf. It's that we end up running after a certain thing because we think it'll give us happiness and security. And it might even be, like Chris said earlier, it might even be a ministry. You might be thinking, there's just no way this could be an idol, and that is the very thing that is keeping you from being heart, soul, mind, strength to God. Jonathan?
6: Yeah, I mean, I think part of the whole process is trying to figure that out and and drawing the line between that. But I I think love can be an idol when it becomes so fulfilling where it's like that is the ultimate thing. I mean, over, like, you have the classic picture of, you know, going on a mission trip and you have all the orphans, you know, jumping on you, and it's so great, and you're giving that love back, but, I mean, that's, it's so easy to do that compared to, I feel like, urban communities here in America where children are defensive, like, they're not just going to jump on you, and it's not that easy, but, I mean, over in a situation like that, you know, it's great, um, and then it's just like, okay, that that is a good thing, and it is important to, to be that, but, I think, especially for me, um, in my personal journey, it's like my idol has been trying to be impactful and trying to be empowering. Where that's it, kind of has been like that. It's almost obsessive now. Where it's like I need to do this and I need to 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 help these people feel loved and feel empowered. Even though loving people is obviously a good thing, and you know, worshiping God through that and you know all that, but I think it can it can still turn that.
0: You can always take something like giving an impact as a positive thing where you're trying to love people and love God through the impact you're making. I've also read article after article written by pastors who are depressed and at the end of their rope, some of them suicidal, because they wanted to make an impact in the world. They have a church of 25 people or 100 people, and all they hear about all day is people with 10,000 member churches. And they are literally in therapy and depressed and ready to do all sorts of things. And the reason comes back to because their idol is impact, because it means more to them than anything else. So you could see a good thing come out of it, but it's become a negative thing. Why? It's not negative for most people, it's negative for them, because of the condition of their heart. So for you or me or somebody else, maybe impact wouldn't be an idol. For them, it's absolutely an idol. And that's why I can't generalize. Going this way, we're going to Carissa.
3: I was just thinking about uh... The relationship between this and, like, our dependence on God or being able to do every single thing in our life. um, And how maybe that causes us to uh, place God above everything else because we depend on Him so much. Even to, like, love um, our spouse or love our friends, especially when they irritate us. Like, to love them anyways and how maybe a problem like in our culture definitely is that we can think that we're self-sufficient and so we can love our friends you know, just by our own power but to think, and sometimes it's super easy, you know but just how can we depend
0: on God more for that? Okay, going this way, comments, Abby?
4: Okay, so as we all know, I really struggle with the whole idea of like how to love God and like from first on like that was like I don't know how to love God and so like the way that I do that, or like the way that like I try my best to interpret that, is by loving other things more. And like I th- I literally think that by loving things more, I'm loving God more. Like fundamentally I think by loving like people more, like that's giving God more glory. And so I guess my question is like in this series, are we going to uh, learn how to love God without? loving people more
0: yeah Morgan's gonna cover that in a second <laughs> yeah he's write that down Morgan you're, you're covering that one Mike. I don't
5: know like I think it, it is a difficult thing and I think for me I try to look for triggers so if something agitates me like I know I shouldn't do it and I'm actually kind of angry that I need to like, do this instead of that or whatever I think that's a good way to kind of gauge it um, is there anything in this world that would make me hate God? I don't think so. Like, if you took this from me, would I be like, yeah, I'm done with you, God. Is this something my life? That's probably a good question to ask. Is there something in your life that would make you be done with God if you took it from you? Um, But I also think it's kind of irresponsible. Like, a comment was made that if you made your kid your everything, like, what would happen if that person died? Like, your life would be ruined. Like, it's kind of irresponsible to gauge it like that because I really do believe that there's some pains that will never get mended throughout your lifetime. I think a loss of a child is one of those things. I think a loss of a person can be one of those things. Um, Even if my child was not my idol, it would ruin my life, at least for a while. But you have that hope. And so when Jolene says about the obedience, I think that that's key. And I don't necessarily think, Jolene, that your dad is your idol because you're thinking about it because you miss him. Because if your heart is saying, I know this is consuming my thoughts right now, and maybe I want to check out, but I'm still being obedient. To me, that says you don't do love God more than that because you're taking the steps to be here, taking the steps to have God heal you, to put God first in your thoughts again, and stuff like that. So I think it is like not about what happens to our life or how it gets ruined or how we're affected when that thing is taken. I think it's more about the choices we make to deal with it or to open ourselves up to making sure that I like think we're still clinging to God in some way, because we are broken, like, people
0: are broken. Okay, since Morgan made that comment, I'm gonna allow him to respond, go ahead.
2: Yeah, I don't want to be misheard in saying that you shouldn't grieve or that there aren't certain events in your life that are literally catastrophic. There are things that happen to people that you have to work through for the rest of your life, so it's not to say that. Uh, and I would agree, I would imagine that don't have a child, but I would imagine losing one would be the awful pain that you that has some part in your life and the rest of your life. But there's a difference between saying, if it became an idol, I mean, there are people who literally, you know, their children's lack of success, or their children's this or that, causes some people to kill themselves. I mean, we're talking right. that. That is a clear idol where they have placed that at such a level um, where their life is literally derailed um, to an unbelievable extent, so.
5: And that makes more sense. I still yeah, think that's a little greed. bit different than being like, Afraid to invest in something so much that if
1: you lost it, it
0: ruin your life. No, I mean, I. You know what? It, it. It. You will never know until you have a child. I discovered that because I thought I knew everything until I had one. But I will also tell you that we guard our hearts even in that regard. Where Lena and I have tried to have this conversation. Uh, it's a difficult conversation to have, but we have said to one another, "If Christine dies." We have to now make a decision to affirm God's goodness today. We have to agree now that even if that were to happen, that our marriage will be intact, that God will be good, that we will not doubt that we will see her again in the next life. We went through all of this stuff, and you know, it's it's still, you could just go, yeah, 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 because we haven't experienced it. But even in those places we're choosing to hold with very open hands the fact that she belongs to him as much as we care about her, and to even prepare not to make her that way in our own life. Uh, I hope I never have to even deal with it. Because I will listen to this someday and I'll curse myself. (laughs) Because I'll think I thought it was so easy and it's not going to be. I hope I never have to. I know people in their lifetime, we all encounter those things. The test is not whether you're hurt by it. But I think the point that was trying to be made is a very wise one. Everything can be taken away. And one of the reasons that God says this is for your own good is because he knows that. We just don't believe him. We just don't believe him. We think that everything we build should last forever, and this whole earth is not going to even do that. We don't believe him. Okay, so going this way, we've got two more, a couple more comments. Megan. Yeah, um,
7: idolatry is definitely something that I struggle a lot and especially like in, especially in a work and Jonathan, too, like in an impactful uh, sense. And I wonder, like kind of hearing our comments and wondering where we're gonna go, I wonder if a lot of overcoming idolatry is not is not simply loving those things less, but finding a way to bring God into those things and make him higher than those things. And so I think like Ray, kinda of to your point, I don't I don't I would assume it's not about I have to love my friends less because I love God at this level, so my friends have to be here. I think it's saying, I love my friends this much and how do I how do I know and experience God in a way that somehow He's greater. And I think the same way too when we talk about pain, I don't think it's I don't think there's any way for us to say like I can't I idolise my child so I have to love them less and I have to feel less pain when they're hurt. But I, I assume that we're gonna learn more about like how do we bring God into our lives and our pain such that when we are faced with that catastrophe somehow God is still the Lord and our our leader.
0: By the way, grief can be an idol. It's an identity that people have. Uh, it becomes something. Okay, Jordan?
2: I was just going to point out um, that uh, when, that uh, idolatry is basically when something comes in between us and God, and that's where the problem comes. And so if you put God into it, or if you, if you find, or if something isn't, if something, it's when something good comes in, becomes ultimate, when it becomes in the way of God. And so if, if you can, you're trying, what, you're, what you should be trying to do is trying to find a way to make it so that it doesn't get in the way, so that your friendship with your friend or your child does not get in the way of God.
0: Okay, Joseph? I think on your comment about, do we believe? I think oftentimes we actually do believe, but we just selfishly don't care. We look in the short term and it doesn't really matter long term in a lot of our lives, so even if we really truly do believe that God has our best interests long term, we're like, short term, this is what I want to do, so I don't care about what's coming later on. And I think oftentimes we then choose the idol, even knowing that God has our best interests at heart, rather than give it up and um, for the greater long-term good. I'm with Abby on one point here, which is that it is so hard to figure out how to love God. And I think that's part of what you're saying, because it's not just the short-term benefit. I think that even that we would be willing to set aside if we really had the feeling of that, that we are searching for, and we could, ex- we could express that to God and feel that from God. And I think that's what actually is the reason that idols become so much of what we live for. It's not that we just set out to turn all these things into ultimate things. I think it's just that in the absence of a real understanding of how to love God and how really to feel God's love, we end up looking for and scratching and clawing our way to anything that will give us that feeling instead of focusing on trying to understand it. And it's hard, it's hard to figure out. Did you have a comment?
1: Um, I just wanna say that, you know, back in the day, I used to be this person that was extremely involved in ministry, I was a missionary, and and I used to think that my love for God and my devotion for God and my idea of him would never change, that he would be so solid, Mm -hmm. and I was almost untouchable in that. You know, it was a time in my life when I truly believed that. And, I mean, you could ask my family, my friends who've known me for years, and they would say the same thing. And and I can say that um, until you've experienced something that rocks your faith so much.
0: But I think what we have to be careful of is taking anything again, even those statements, and making them ultimate too. Because as one pastor at our church recently reminded, the death rate is still one per person. It's never changed. Never has, never will, and all of us will die. The only question is, in what order? And grief is a matter of order. Because you will grieve the people that are around you, but it's not because it's illogical. Everyone in this room is going to die. The only thing I don't know is in what order. And those are the kinds of things that even Morgan is trying to remind us of, which is that God knows that everything can be taken. And that is a protective measure for us. Do we believe that he has our best interest in heart when he says, worship me? It's not just that he's worthy. It's also that it's in our best interest. Let me just press forward and show you this is the list I made of different things that could be idols. Significant others, family, children, career, making money, achievement, success, recognition, impact, social standing, romance and love, appearance, peer approval, beauty, knowledge, an important cause, safety. I mean, you could look at these things and actually look at ones that I add up here too, like ministry, doctrine. I mean, we could look at bad things like consumerism and go, oh, bad idol. Uh, Yeah, I've seen people make doctrine into an idol, haven't you? And that way people split. Isn't that why people argue all the time in faith and religious matters? Haven't some of you in here sometimes said that even the belief in the scriptures being a certain doctrine, that becomes an idol to people? We've agreed with that. So we could look at the bad ones, that's easy, and say, oh, materialism, that's a horrible idol. Yes, it is. So is making any one of these things into an idol. So are the honest confessions that I read on pastors' blogs about how they made their ministry into an idol. And the consequences that came out of it. The ones that get me the most are the ones that still had no consequences. They were just realizing a place that nothing bad happened. Everything is still going great. I'm doing it weekend after weekend and nothing bad is happening. It's an idol. I'm worshiping my ministry. I'm worshiping my cause. I'm worshiping my impact. I'm worshiping even things like choice. I'm worshiping that relationship or the desire for it. That's the thing that will give me what God could give me hey, we're going to struggle. I'm glad we're struggling already. If you haven't struggled, you want to know something else. Here's the wrong, I want to give you the what's wrong with idolatry from one of the books I'm reading. I don't know if this is going to hit you, but it's just a couple slides and we're done. Kind of hit me because this was their perspective on why idolatry might be bad. One thing, by the way, before I get to this person's quote is, one reason idolatry might be bad is because God doesn't like it. And we might just skip right over this point, but we just finished a series where we saw the consequences, the very real and corporal consequences of idolatry. So it would be a little bit weird to think, eh, what's so bad about idolatry when much of the Old Testament is concerned with getting rid of idolatry um, and people paid heavy prices for it. We should not put that aside, especially since we studied it. And I will tell you, Part of my disappointment in some of the books that I'm reading is that nobody is really covering this point about why care about this one so much that we would write a whole book on it. Uh, They have some reasons, but they're not all that strong as to what makes idolatry so bad if it's so bad. What's the real consequence in our life? So we'll have to come up with that. Maybe that's our contribution as Exodus. But here's one that one author tried to say. He tries to diagnose the problem like this. You love God, you've experienced salvation through faith in Christ, you pray, you read your Bible, some of you are thinking, let's just stop there, I don't even got those down. You worship regularly, you give financially and willingly through works of service to his kingdom, but something is wrong, something is missing, something is not working, and you're not alone. We seldom realize it when it happens, but our lives can easily become infected with modern idolatries that look utterly harmless, sometimes even virtuous. But those user-friendly idols distract us from a wholehearted, single-minded devotion to God and become the enemies of our souls. Can I underline this right here? A wholehearted, single-minded devotion to God. You know, some of us think, I don't know if that's possible to have a whole hearted, single minded devotion to God. I mean, I can't do anything else. I don't know, but you sang it. I didn't. I was trying to do the PowerPoint. <laughs> you sang, so I'll stand with arms high and heart abandoned, in awe of the one who gave it all. I'll stand, my soul, Lord, to you surrendered, all I am is yours. Now, I know you're not allowed to sing different words when everybody else is singing these words. You're not allowed to just start singing whatever you want. (laughs) But it's amazing how often we sing words that say exactly what this is, that we will give everything our all, that he deserves everything, all of it. And then when we get to this, we go, yeah, but in practicality, that wouldn't be possible to do. Well, that's what the scriptures say, and I know it's in how you do it that the nuance is created None of us are saying that you need to just go to a monastery and just focus on God all day long. We're saying you need to focus on God all day long and how you live and what you do. But there's no place in the scriptures that give us leave from this. This is what our love for God is supposed to look like. I admit, again, it's very hard to figure out. Okay, that's what we're shooting for. According to Bob Hostetler, here's what he says. But suppose... Just suppose there is something standing between you and God. Something hindering answers to your most heartfelt prayers. Something impending your spiritual growth. Something making it harder for you to feel God's presence and experience his blessings on your life. Suppose you could discover the reason for your lack of victory over some habitual sin or your lack of deliverance from some burden or bitterness. The point is... Maybe when we feel these places, which a lot of us say that we do, part of the reason is we have not investigated and figured out, is this an idol in my life? Are there idols in my life that are allowing this to happen? I think it's worthy to spend a few weeks asking ourselves about the things in our life that we care about the most, that we want the most, that we fear the most, that we worry about the most, that we cling to the most. If we could just say, is that, I'm not saying it is, I'm asking you to ask, is it something that competes with your love for God? Is he still more important? And I don't know any other way than to ask those questions that we had on those cards to help you start thinking because you're all different people. You're all in different places. The things that I struggle with that are idols in my life, you might just shrug your shoulders and go, why? That's silly. That doesn't make any sense, right? Idols never make sense. They just grip our heart. So they might not make sense to you, but they definitely are something I struggle with in my heart because they've gripped my heart in that area. Let's pray that God bless this series and give us some wisdom and something to add to it. Lord God, we offer to you this series. There's a lot of questions that come when we wrestle in this room. And thank you, Lord, for a place that we have. You've given us this place, this place to meet, this forum to struggle because there's a lot of things that we're going to study and it is right for us to struggle. Spirit, it is you that we are wrestling with in this room. We wrestle with our heart. We wrestle to find the truth. We wrestle with one another. But in this place, Lord, let truth be produced. Let us deliberate the way your early church deliberated to find out truth from one another, to learn and to grow from the wisdom and experience that we have in this room. And Lord, bless this series. Because the questions we're asking are not always addressed in the many books that have been written. And somebody, somewhere in this room or many weeks later, is going to hear this. And it's going to stir something in them. Lord, right now, if we do know that there are idols in our lives, give us the courage to lay them down. Help us change our heart, Lord, that we might elevate you. We might find you. And Lord, if I had an audacious request to make. It would be that at the end of this series, we would better understand how to love you more, not just how to love other things less. And Lord, that would solve so many things. That's audacious. I don't know that a small group like ours can figure out something so grand and mighty, but your spirit knows the answer. Grant it to us in this room. We pray that in your name. Amen.